Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Photojournalist Paula John Turco says that an unheralded grandmother's movement is changing the world. Her book, Grandmother Power, a Global Phenomenon, features 120 activist grandmothers in 15 countries on five continents. Grandmothers in Canada, Swaziland, and South Africa are collaborating to care for AIDS orphans. Grandmothers in Senegal have convinced communities to abandon female genital mutilation. Grandmothers in India are becoming solar engineers to bring light to their villages. Argentine grandmothers continue their 40-year search for grandchildren who were kidnapped during the nation's military dictatorship. And Filipino grandmothers demand justice for having been forced into sex slavery during World War II. Paula John Turco is uh, giving 100% of her author royalties from this book to the Grandmothers Campaign of the Stephen Lewis Foundation, which benefits grandmothers raising AIDS orphans in 15 African countries. She'll give a presentation on uh, September 28th, 1.30 p.m. at the Salt Lake City Public Library as part of the U- Utah Humanities Council Book Festival. Paula John Turco, a pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We'll uh, loop back and explain uh, maybe the genesis of your work in photojournalism. That's an interesting story. I'd like to start with uh, how this book started. And you, you write in your book that this started, I think, in rural Kenya. You were interviewing some women, and they were each telling you how many children they had and how many adopted children. And, and uh, you, you realize they're talking about their grandchildren. That's exactly right. That was 2006. I was interviewing women outside of Kisumu, Kenya. And I was sitting in a circle with them, and just to start the conversation, I invited them to tell me how many children they had. And they answered in this formulaic way that you just described. The first one said, I have two children and six adopted. And the next said, I have four children and 12 adopted. And the next said, I have three children and 15 adopted. And suddenly I realized that they were telling me that they were raising their grandchildren because their children had died of AIDS. So at an age when they were too old to work and, as a result, earn money to feed the children or carry water on their heads, suddenly they were taking care of maybe a dozen grandchildren, everyone grieving. The situation seemed to me to be so dire um, that I couldn't imagine how they did it. And then I met grandmothers like that all over the continent of Africa that year. Um, I left thinking the future of this continent rests with the grandmothers. Yeah, it's it just, inspired me. That's just heartbreaking, isn't it? You, it to, to realize these women are uh, not only have the responsibility now for their grandchildren, they've lost their children. Well, exactly. They also, however, have the support of 8,000 Canadian grandmothers hmm. who have decided to stand in solidarity with them. Um, and it is the Stephen Lewis Foundation in Toronto that is coordinating um, the requests for grants that come from groups of grandmothers all over Africa in 15 countries. Um, they go to the Stephen Lewis Foundation, and they are filled um, in large part by the work that's done, the fundraising that's done by the grandmothers in Canada. How did that connection come about? The Stephen Lewis Stephen Lewis was the Canadian ambassador to the UN, and Kofi Annan named him to be the his own special envoy on AIDS to Africa, which was a term he served. And when he returned to Canada, he vowed that he would spend the rest of his life trying to turn the tide of AIDS in Africa. Um, but he was one man with one man's money, so he invited um, Canadian grandmothers to meet with. 100 African grandmothers whom he, or sorry, six uh, African grandmothers whom he flew from um, all over Africa to Toronto. They told their stories. Everyone wept, and the Canadian grandmothers vowed to stand in solidarity with them. The Canadian grandmothers have, as of this year, six years into their campaign, um, raised $19 million. And that amount goes in small cash infusions to fulfill the grant requests from the African grandmothers to buy seeds for community gardens, um, to buy playground equipment so they can do after-school care for the children. It's wonderful. It's interesting. I'm reading from your book uh, a statement made by the African grandmothers and the Canadian grandmothers. And they're saying, we're strong, we're determined. They go on to say, in the short term, we do not need a great deal, but we do need enough. 
very interesting. They're they're asking for they're not asking for everything, just enough. They in fact get small a continuous flow of small cash infusions, which is exactly what they need. Um, and they use it to leverage community projects that benefit the children so that no single grandmother is likely to get it, will get uh, individually a grant. Um, but they have, for example, one of their partners is the Nayaka AIDS Orphans School in Uganda, um, and they have 600 children who've been orphaned by AIDS as their students. It's really an impressive program. So some of the grants are larger than others, but for that one, they needed just enough money to be able to um, buy the components that would allow them to make bricks to build the school. So they, they get up projects to, to try to, to raise money. All, uh, what they need is seed money. I guess exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you say in your book that uh, this grandmother's movement. You say this is a this is an unheralded movement around the world, and you're documenting this it results in part from demographics. I guess there are more there are more grandmothers now. That's one there are more one grandmothers factor. on the planet right now than there have ever been. I mean, for a long time, if you think about it, people didn't live to be older than thirty for millennia after millennia after millennia. Um, now, of course, with the boomers becoming grandmothers in the United States at the rate of about 4,000 a day, uh, there are more grandmothers than there have ever been, 42 million right now. And uh, you say this may be an expression of a grandmother hypothesis. Tell me about that. In Salt Lake, you have a remarkable scholar whose name is Kristen Hawks, and she developed uh, an idea, a concept, based on her experience working in Africa in the 70s. She, her theory um, was that grandmothers live beyond the time of menstruation in order to benefit, to help raise their grandchildren. Um, and, in fact, that has, uh, as the years have gone by, it was originally seen as a, a kind of wild concept, I think. Um, but, in fact, it has been borne out. Um, and she was exactly right. The grandmothers are both literally uh, raising grandchildren, certainly in Africa, as we've been discussing, but also in the United States. In the United States, the Pew Center, the Pew Research Center, just last week, released new information that suggests as many as one in every 10 children is being raised by grandparents, and 63% of those grandparents are grandmothers. You write something very interesting that uh, you're looking back and looking forward, to talking about generations. You talk about your grandmothers, your Italian grandmother, Remigia, and your uh, American grandmother, Emma. And you say this, both women born in the 19th century live in me in the 21st century. Grandmothers um, and grandparents' influence is is long lasting, and um, this is this is startling. You say half, and you repeat it with an exclamation point. <laughs> half of all girls born in the U.S. in the year two thousand will reach the age of one hundred. That's the estimate. Exactly. That that's a statistic that came from a woman named Laura Carstensen, who runs the Stanford University Center on Longevity. Um, and it just astonished me when I first learned about that. I think about all those little girls whose lives are so long that, in fact, the future stretches beyond them in a way that people my age didn't expect it would. So making the world a better place has a kind of urgency and a kind of um, long future that it hasn't ever had before. But, of course, uh, these demographics can only explain part of this. Why, why do you think this activism on the part of grandmothers worldwide? What, why now? I'll tell you what I think. Um, for one thing, many uh, the grandmothers today are better educated, in the global north, at least, than they have ever been. They are healthier. Health care isn't perfect, but it is a lot better than it has ever been. So they are younger. More than half of the grandmothers in the United States today are between the ages of 47 and 64, too young to retire. 
They are literally younger. The stereotype of the grandmother tatting in her rocking chair is truly obsolete, if it, indeed it had any bearing ever. Um, so they are younger, healthier, better educated. Many of them in the United States have work experience, which makes them very effective. And, of course, the boomers came of age in the 1960s, so they know they can change the world because they did. What I discovered was that the universal that I've heard, the universal attitude that I discovered as I traveled, was that grandmothers look around at our troubled world and say, no, not good enough for my beloved grandchildren. What about grandfathers? Is uh, is there any grandfather activism, and you're just focusing on grandmothers, or is is it more with grandmothers? I was just focusing on grandmothers. All of my books are about women around the world, Um, but there are some grandfathers who are involved. For example, one of the chapters in the book is about the grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo in Peru. They have been looking for their children, their grandchildren, who were stolen by the military dictatorship during the 70s and 80s. Sorry, in Argentina, I misspoke, in Argentina. Um, So the grandmothers of of the Plaza de Mayo have been hunting for their lost grandchildren, and they have a companion organization, um, the grandfathers of the Plaza de Mayo, who have also joined them in that search. Hmm. So men are involved. All over Canada, the men are involved in the Canadian grandmother groups. In fact, the one in the book, which is in Barrie, Ontario, um, is called Grandmothers and Grand Others. <laughs> Very good. Uh, since you brought that up, I was going to uh, have you talk about this a little later. Let, let's talk about this now. This is, uh, you know, again, some of these things are just heartbreaking, but the response is heroic. In Argentina, uh, you know, during during the dictatorship, many people were, as they called it, disappeared. Uh, you know, never a car would pull up and uh, and the family or the young people or whatever would, would never be seen again. This is a part I hadn't focused on before. The the uh, children, I, I guess a lot of children, were taken and raised by others. The military dictatorship thought that children younger than the age of two were educable. So children who were born in the detention camps um, were often taken as newborns um, by the police and the members of the military and the sort of senior officials in the government um, hierarchy and raised as their own. And as those children, there were perhaps 500 of them who were never seen by their grandmothers, and it is those who are the focus of the search being done now, still, by the grandmothers there. I was reading about a woman called Elsa, Elsa Pavon de Aguilar. Um, I wonder if you could tell me her story. She, she. This is just a heroic response. I guess that you, you, the impulse would be there, but I don't know whether I would have done what she would have had the strength to do what she did. She, her, I guess her her um, daughter and son-in-law, or son and, and daughter-in-law, were disappeared, and and she set out almost immediately to search for her granddaughter. Her daughter and son-in-law were disappeared, and so was her first grandchild, whose name was Paula. Um, She, I I was so happy to have a chance to talk with her because we shared a name. They They had gone to Uruguay, and in fact, they were taken off the street in Uruguay one night. Paula, um, Paula vanished with them, and Elsa spent years, six or seven, um, going to daycare centers, going to kindergartens, going to parks to look for children, going to the police. These women pretended, she and others, pretended to be maids in order to get into apartments where they had heard their children, grandchildren might be living tended to be renters, um, searched and searched and searched, and finally, um, indeed, she was able to locate Paola, um, and after the dictatorship was over, 
1983, it was possible to bring a lawsuit against the people who had abducted these children, which Elsa did. The court mandated that the family bring Paola to court. Um, Paola, who was just a child, had been told that this crazy old woman was trying to take her. So it wasn't a uh, joyful reunion. Paola was terrified. However, ultimately, uh, she was given over into the custody of her grandmother and um, was very quickly estranged from the people whom she had grown up believing um, were her parents, who, of course, weren't. She won that case, Elsa won that case, because she was able to bring evidence in court that was um, the result of work by an American geneticist um, named Marie Claire King. She developed the equivalent of a paternity test for grandmothers and grandchildren, and it's accurate within 99.9%. Um, The United Nations has accepted that data as evidence in courts all over uh, the world in UN member countries because these children often were shipped outside of Argentina. So Paula was the very first of what are now something just over 100 grandchildren who have been identified that way. And of course it was necessary. These grandmothers had never met their grandchildren. They were born in the detention camps. In the middle of this, um, Elsa had found Paola, but uh, there was a setback, legal setback. Uh, the judge or somebody asked her, what would you do if, uh, you know, if you don't get Paola back? It's extraordinary. She says, well, I would go home, I'd cry until I can't cry anymore, then I'd repair my shoes and start again. Exactly. There is no way these grandmothers are giving up. <laughs> they are, the search continues. Hmm. There are still perhaps 400 missing grandchildren. Of course, they're now in their 30s. Um, These are strategically very smart grandmothers. They know that their tactics now have to change. It's no longer possible to go to daycare centers and look. So today they have the support of um, people in theater and musicians and sports figures. Um, Many performances end by the performers asking the audiences, do you know who you are? Because to seed the question among an audience of young people um, may just kindle their intention to go to the DNA database and find out if, in fact, they are related to someone other than the people whom they have been living with as their parents. Many of these young people doubt that they belong in their families um, because they don't look like anybody else. They don't look like their cousins. So they grow up having questions. And to have a famous performer ask an audience, do you know who you are, sometimes gives them an avenue to pursue. What does, uh, you've talked to both Elsa and Paula, what, do, what, is, what does Paula say these days? She's, she's been reunited with her grandmother. She doesn't think, uh, you know, well of, of her, uh, the appropriators, as they're called. What's, what's her feelings now that she's been reunited with her grandmother? Well, she's now married and has her own children and, and a life. Um, who knows what her life would have been like if these were very privileged children. I mean, these were the people who were in the hierarchy of the government. Um, so they grew up to be well-educated human beings. Um, and Paula has uh, been working, actually, as a, in a bank where her real father had worked. And she is responsible for a program that the bank offers its employees who were disappeared children uh, with special benefits for them. She's running that program. We're talking with uh, Paula John Turco. Uh, she is author of uh, several books of photojournalism. Her latest is Grandmother Power, a Global Phenomenon. 
Uh, she says that there's an unheralded grandmother's movement. It's changing the world. She's documenting this, featuring 120 activist grandmothers. The book does 15 countries, five continents. We've been talking about grandmothers in Canada, Swaziland, and South Africa who are collaborating to care for AIDS orphans. Grandmothers in Argentina continue their 40-year search for grandchildren who were kidnapped during the nation's military dictatorship. We'll talk about some other riveting stories. Grandmothers in India are becoming solar engineers to bring light to their villages. Filipino grandmothers are demanding justice and a place in the history books for having been forced into sex slavery during World War II. Guatemalan grandmothers are operating a hotline to teach parenting and uh, and try to uh, prevent and overcome uh, sexual abuse. Uh, Paula Janturko has worked as a photojournalist documenting women's lives in 55 countries. 100% of her royalties from this book go to the Grandmother's Campaign of the Stephen Lewis Foundation, which benefits grandmothers raising AIDS orphans in 15 African countries. She'll be giving a presentation on the 28th of this week, at 1.30 p.m., at the Salt Lake City Public Library as a part of the Utah Humanities Council Book Festival. And more with Paula John Turco following this break. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll trace the unmistakable tone of the blues from Africa to America and to Europe and South America, too. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Blues Around the World, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday nights at 10 on Utah Public Radio. And programming is made possible in part by our members and Elon Magazine, a bi-monthly artistic celebration of inspirational stories from extraordinary women, defining the Southwest lifestyle through culture, art, and adventure. Information at elonwoman.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with photojournalist Paula Jean Turco. Her latest book is Grandmother Power, a Global Phenomenon. She says that an unheralded grandmother's movement is changing the world. Insurgent grandmothers are using their power to fight for a better future for grandchildren everywhere. And this book features 120 activist grandmothers in 15 countries on five continents. Uh, in Peru, Thailand, and Laos, grandmothers are sustaining weaving traditions. Guatemalan grandmothers are operating a hotline to teach parenting. Israeli grandmothers monitor checkpoints to prevent abuse. And indigenous grandmothers from 13 countries conduct healing rituals to bring peace to the world. Uh, Paula Jean Turco is giving a presentation on September 28th, 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon in the Salt Lake City Public Library as part of the Utah Humanities Council Book Festival. You're welcome to join this conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me if you would like. Uh, we'd love to hear your experience. 1-800-826-1495 is the number. 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email at upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, Paula John Turco, uh, you're a grandmother, I believe. I am a grandmother. So you'd feel some solidarity to uh, to the grandmothers that you profile, and you ask a question that I think is a very very pertinent question. You talk about these heroic stories. We've been uh, having you tell some of these. Uh, you ask if I were an illiterate grandmother, would I have the gumption and intellectual discipline to master solar engineering? That's happening in India. If I were HIV positive, would I have the energy and spirit to support a dozen AIDS uh, orphaned grandchildren while grieving for their parents, my children? Uh, the stories go on and on. And then you ask the reader, would you? This is, uh, I guess, it just highlights uh, the heroism that's um, th- that you document around the world. These women are my heroes. I, I, <laughs> I have to say I met them as my sisters because you're right, I'm a grandmother too. Um, in India, they dressed me in their saris, and in, I danced with them in Senegal. Um, they invited me into their homes, and I met their grandchildren, and we chatted about their work. But I will tell you that I ended the project, um, and they were my heroes. Your story is interesting. You were in uh, you were in business, right? Advertising. I was in marketing and advertising and corporate communications and public relations for almost thirty five years. In fact, you were a principal in the first woman owned ad agency, I believe. I was. So at age fifty five, what what happened? What you always, <laughs> you, you always had an interest in uh, photography, I believe. I had been taking pictures since I was eight when my father put a camera in my hand. I was a child. 
but I was not a professional photographer. I was not a professional writer. Um, toward the end of that stint in business, I also was teaching. I taught uh, summer executive institutes at Stanford University about women in leadership. And by the time I had taught some 12 times, um, in addition to continuing to do consulting all over the country, I, I, there were three things that were going on. One, I was exhausted. <laughs> Two, I had a million frequent flyer mouse, which meant I could go anywhere and stay anywhere for free. And three, I had earned two years' worth of money by doing two jobs at the same time. I had bought myself a year. So I thought, I'm going to do only for one year what I loved most and want to learn next. And what I loved most was photography and travel, and what I wanted to learn next at that point was about women entrepreneurs. No one was yet talking much about microcredit, but in the mid-90s it was beginning, um, and I wanted to find out more about women who were running their own one-person businesses. So I gathered my frequent flyer mouth. Um, and sallied forth. <laughs> Some people might call this a harebrained scheme, don't you think? <laughs> they they might indeed. <laughs> and that turned into the first book. <clears throat> yeah, called In Her Hands. Called In Her Hands. It was about women artisans in 12 countries. I invited a friend um, whom I had worked with for many years to go with me. She wasn't a professional <laughs> photographer or a writer either. But lo and behold, that first book was a huge success. We were on Oprah, and the book sold out. Hooray! <laughs> it was wonderful. And that was the end of my business life. Hmm. I defected, and have now done five books. <laughs> uh, and you, you focus on women's issues. What, what, are, what are you focused are about, on? are about women's issues. Mm -hmm. The second one was called Celebrating Women. In the course of doing that first book, as I was packing up my camera equipment in Gujarat, India, a woman said to me, come back in the fall and we'll teach you how to do the dances that we perform all night to the Mother God. And I said, you do? I'm coming back. <laughs> and that turned out to be the Durga Festival, um, which, of course, is um, a festival that celebrates the feminine in the spiritual life of the Hindus. Um, so that opened my eyes to the fact that there were festivals that celebrate women virtually everywhere, despite the fact that in many cultures women are denigrated and discounted. In many cultures, they are also celebrated for a whole variety of accomplishments and behaviors and attributes. Hmm. What, what have you found that's universal? You've traveled around the world, and uh, you know there's, there's things that are very local, but I'm sure you've, you've found some things that among these women that are very universal. Um, both as mothers and as grandmothers, they are just determined that the lives of their children and grandchildren will be better than their own. Um, and they work tirelessly, tirelessly to make that possible. I'd like to talk next about something that's, uh, this gets us into uh, something that's very complicated, and that is how do you change a deeply ingrained tradition and culture? I'm talking about female um, genital mutilation. You, you went to Senegal, where this is uh, quite prevalent, I believe, um, and uh, you're writing that some programs, they, they come in, try to change the tradition, and perhaps it changes for a while. In fact, I think in Senegal it's, it's illegal, but it goes underground. Uh, tell me what the grandmothers are doing. There is an a nonprofit organization called the Grandmother Project, which is run by a visionary anthropologist. Um, she understands that such traditions don't change just because people make claims to the press that they're going to abandon this, um, or just because it is now, as you say, illegal in Senegal. Um, most development groups target mothers when they're worrying about daughter's health, about children's health. But this woman said, looking at the communities around the world, she's worked all over the developing world, it's the grandmothers who are really the 
authorities in their families. The mothers may come back having learned some new kind of um, nutrition or something about uh, raising healthier children. But if the grandmothers don't sanction that action, it doesn't happen. So this woman, whose name is Judy Aubel, began working with grandmothers to change the way children's health is dealt with in rural communities particularly. Um, And she organized the grandmothers um, through planting just one bit of contemporary medical information, which the grandmothers then added to their traditional medicine arsenal. And in Senegal, that one bit of information came from the community health workers who explained to the grandmothers that their daughters were dying in childbirth from hemorrhaging as a result of female genital mutilation. They had, the grandmothers had no idea that that, to make that connection. It was the grandmothers who had not only perpetuated the tradition, but conducted the surgeries. And they had, because the birthing was so long in terms of years uh, from the cutting, they had never made that connection. As soon as they understood it, they vowed in this area around Velangara, which I visited, that they would stop the practice. But they knew, of course, that it wasn't only their decision because many members of the community have a vested interest in continuing this. Men want to marry women who have been cut because it guarantees that they are virgins. Fathers want their daughters to be cut because it means that they will be marriageable. So there are lots of vested interests in sustaining this tradition, and the grandmothers were just determined to stop it. They went first to the imams and then to the school principals and the head men and asked help convening a series of village meetings. And they talked first, they were very smart about this, they talked first about good traditions that would should be sustained. And only when that list was complete did they invite people to talk about bad traditions that should be discontinued. And ultimately, 20 villages outside of Velangara, which is about 10 hours from Dakar, by car, um, all 20 villages made the decision not only to stop FGM, but also to stop teen marriage and early pregnancy. And the grandmothers are teaching in high schools about the the last two of those now. Um, But in fact, it was important that all 20 villages make that same decision at the same time because the practice is to marry out. Um, They practice exogenous marriage. They They get married to people in other villages. So everyone in the surrounding area had to come to the same conclusion, and they did, thanks to the grandmothers. My guest today is photojournalist Paula Gianturco. Her book is Grandmother Power, a Global Phenomenon. She's coming to Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City Public Library, on September 28th, one thirty in the afternoon as part of the Utah Humanities Council Book Festival. You're welcome to join this conversation at 1-800-826-1495 or by email to upraxis at gmail.com. And we do have a caller online, Jennifer in Vernal. Jennifer, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, it's occurring to me that this woman has a relatively unique uh, perspective on <clears throat> women's issues in general. And um, for the past number of years, I've been raising um, one of my grandchildren because her father keeps getting locked up. He's in prison as we speak. And then I have another daughter <clears throat> who has a, a mental illness that keeps her, well, she has schizophrenia. And she's got two children, and I've spent the bulk of my time with these kids, this child and these two grandchildren. Well, now there are three, but I'm wondering, why do I feel so ashamed of asking for help? Because I live in a a very Tea Party-oriented part of the world, plus my parents were hardcore Republican. Barry Goldwater came to our house when I was a little kid. I thought he came to everybody's house. But I feel so ashamed to ask for any help. As a result, I lived way below the poverty line. And uh, 
I ended up in a mental hospital last week. Provo Canyon is great, by the way. But why is that? I want to know why do I feel so undeserving of help. I don't do something that you get paid for. Whereas when I worked in the oil field, you know, when you're raping and pillaging the earth, the pay is terrific. And I just want to know how, how she would approach this because it's been difficult. And why do we have to feel like we're on welfare when we're really working our butts off? Do you see what I'm saying? Does this make any sense at all? Yeah, definitely, I, definitely. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I see grandmothers who are raising grandchildren around the world as heroic. They, you're right. There is not much support or even recognition for what is required. It is not only difficult for all of the reasons that you have named, but it's emotionally very demanding and and complicated and difficult. Often there isn't much support or easy access to support, but there are, in fact, support mechanisms in place. I don't know um, if she has access, if Jennifer has access to the Internet, but she might like to do some searches. Um, I was very pleased to see that two of the women who have been nominated by CNN for CNN Heroes this year um, are grandmothers, and one of them is running an organization from Southern California called Grandmothers Raising Grandchildren. It helps enormously to have, as that organization does, a support group of other grandmothers who are facing mm-hmm. the same kinds of issues and can yeah, help provide. Support would be great. I'm used to, you know, not having money. Uh, that You can get used to that, but it's the sheer lack of, you're, like you say, moral support. And I do, I can go to the library because there's Internet access. We have a wonderful library, by the way, in Vernal. It's just so out of sync with so many of the other things in Vernal that the library is terrific. So um, I will just, you know, set aside a day when I'm not available. That's hard too. You you don't get any time off. You know, it no. just it just all it's mind-boggling. And, and have you not noticed? It isn't the guys doing this. It's the women. We're so used to working for free. I guess that we're just an easy choice. I don't know, but it gets old in a hurry. And I'm just I'm glad you're there today. I'm really, um, really glad you're there today. Because um, you acknowledge that this is a difficult thing to do, you know, it's hard. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to get off the phone and fight and off a little cold anyway, but um, thank you. I'm going to check these people out, but it's grandmothers raising grandchildren. Exactly. So, okay, Th- and that's Jennifer. Down, that's where I'm from, in Southern California. No. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you for Tom Williams having you on. I mean, it takes two people to get at least to get this worked out. So thank you. You've made my day. Oh, thank, thanks, Jennifer. And good thank luck. You, good Jennifer. luck to you. Good luck to you. That I guess that does illustrate, uh, Paula John Turco, that it's it, sometimes the most important thing, at least the first thing, is is acknowledgement and, and, and emotional support. It's crucial. Um, but think about the fact that one in ten children in the United States is being raised by a grandparent. And there isn't really this kind of connection that she's talking about among them. It really is urgently necessary. And I suppose in in the advantage uh, some of the communities you visited, there's a built-in advantage, cultural advantage, and, and that is that the community. And uh, sometimes in parts of the U.S., there isn't that... There isn't that community, that built-in community. People can feel very alone. Yeah, that's right. So Grandmothers Raising Grandchildren is a a good resource then. Uh, Are there there some other resources? By the way, where to go to find some of the groups that uh, you have been uh, talking about? And and what if people want to support some of these? All of the organizations in the book are on the project website, along with um, some 70 organizations literally around the world. Um, The project website, my book project website, is www.globalgrandmotherpower.com. And there's a tab called Show Your Power, which lists 
more than 70 organizations in 35 countries. All right. Uh, uh, tell us the website again. www.globalgrandmotherpower.com. All right. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll hear some more stories from the book. We hope to have your call as well. We'd love to hear your experience. The number is 1-800-826-1495. Or you can reach us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Paula John Turco is our guest. Her, her new book is Grandmother Power, a Global Phenomenon featuring 120 activist grandmothers in 15 countries on five continents. This is a growing phenomenon all over the world, grandmothers raising grandchildren and uh, fighting for their grandchildren. Uh, Paula John Turco will be, give a presentation on September 28th, one thirty in the afternoon, Salt Lake City Public Library. That's part of the Utah Humanities Council Book Festival. More following the break. Have you ever heard an idea that changed the way you look at the world? Everything we think we've we had feel, to believe in impossible things. Infinite possibility, that sense of potential. And, I realize and we've had to refuse persist. to fear failure. We've got to persist to fail. You can contemplate the meaning of infinity. I'm Guy Raz. Join me each week for ideas worth spreading on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Paula John Turco. Her latest book is Grandmother Power, a Global Phenomenon. And she'll be uh, presenting at the Salt Lake City Public Library as part of the Utah Humanities Council Book Festival on September 28th at 1.30 in the afternoon. By the way, Paula John Turco will also be appearing in Jackson, Wyoming, if you're going to be over there on September 30th. That's 6 p.m. at the Teton County Library. Uh, so we're uh, encouraging your call here. We just have oh, five or ten minutes left. Love to get your story in, 1-800-826-1495, or you can reach us at upraxis at gmail.com. Looks like we do have a call. Uh, Mary from North Logan. Uh, Mary, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Well, yes, I was very taken by the last caller, and I think Jennifer needs to remember that to never doubt her importance in the life of her grandchildren. And uh, I don't know if Vernal has what is called a family support center, but uh, they are located throughout the state, and you can get respite care there. Uh, when you need it for a variety of different reasons, and I'm sure she would definitely, uh, it wouldn't be a problem for her to get care there. If they have one in Vernal, they have them in Cache County, um, Box Elder County, and around the state. So she might look that up on the Internet as well. And I'm totally enjoying your uh, interview today, Tom, and I, too, have two small grandchildren and I agree with her, the critical value of grandmothers. And uh, it's the old adage, it takes a village. So thank you very much. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate mm-hmm. that. So, uh, so uh, Jennifer, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're still listening. Family Support Center. Look for Family Support Center in, in Vernal. I, I Googled it, but I'm, I'm not able to come up with anything concrete. But uh, that'd be something to look for. Uh, Paula John Turco, this, uh, I guess, indicates uh, this is a universal feeling and impulse worldwide. We're, we're hearing it among our listeners here in Utah. It is. And, you know, the grandmothers are not just changing the world by taking care of their grandchildren and by helping make better futures for their grandchildren, um, but they are modeling behaviors and values that I, for one, think are very important. If you look for threads throughout all of the stories in the book, you will discover collaboration, I mean, we just saw it between Mary and Jennifer in this very hour. Um, So collaboration and generosity, resilience, perseverance. I mean, these are important things to model for children and for them to learn. So it's not all just about changing the future for children. It's also about teaching. Yes. You know, some of the attributes um, that are described in the book are natural-seeming Uh, grandmother behaviors. For example, there are grandmothers in Latin America who are working on issues of literacy. There is a program of storytelling grandmothers begun in Argentina um, 
they discovered that when the grandmothers go into the schools once a week to read to children, it's a natural behavior for a grandmother, um, children's ability to read and love of books is jet-propelled so quickly that that program has now been incorporated into the national public school curriculum and copied by eight other countries in Latin America plus Spain. Um, so there are some of the behaviors that are described in the book Grandmother Power that um, grandmothers do virtually every day. And there are some that are really brand new. For example, the grandmothers in India who are learning how to be solar engineers so they can bring electricity to their dark villages. <laughs> That's not usual for a grandmother. Mm. Grandmothers are doing many different kinds of things around the world. By the way, Jennifer, I did uh, find, I think, a family support center in Roosevelt, if you're able to get over there. Um, so you could you could look them up. I, I was going to ask you, Paula John Turco, about the the Barefoot College, which is, so you just referred to that, in, in India. I think this is connected to grandmothers learning solar power. Exactly. Grandmothers from India went back, went not back to school. They had never been to school. Most of these were illiterate rural grandmothers. Went to the Barefoot College. Um, and after six months, learned how to be solar engineers, returned to their villages. I've been in a village in India, for example, that had more camels than people, 102 camels, 100 people, and every hut had a solar panel on the top of it. Everything changes when a village gets electricity. Midwives can see to deliver babies in the middle of the night. The children don't get lung diseases from studying by kerosene lamps. Everything changes. So those grandmothers went back to the Barefoot College to teach other grandmothers to become solar engineers. The UN got drift of their effectiveness and began sending grandmothers from Africa. I was there when 20 African women arrived. They have no common language between the teacher and the students. So the Indian grandmothers teach with demonstration and gesture and color coding and experimentation. It's great. Um, nobody can talk to each other. They can't read because they're illiterate. They come out and literally change everything in their villages. There are now some 45,000 households in 64 countries that have electricity thanks to the grandmothers. There are a couple of interesting stories in the Middle East. Uh, only if you tell me about that. First of all, um, Israeli grandmothers um, checking checkpoints, I guess, for... To make sure, and and they're checking. I think they're concerned about the uh, the Palestinians. They are very concerned about the Palestinians. Um, Jewish Israeli grandmothers go two by two. There are four hundred of them. They go two by two to checkpoints all over the West Bank to monitor their own soldiers, because there was abuse um, against Palestinians that they found simply um, unacceptable. Um, and it result, for example, I, I don't know of a military in the world that isn't trained to maintain power and control, and one of those ways was to cause long delays at the checkpoints. People would literate Palestinians trying to get through the checkpoints to go to doctor's appointments or schools or jobs could be delayed for six to eight hours at a time without any explanation. They were just essentially locked into the checkpoints. And between 2000 and 2006, some 83 women gave birth at the che checkpoints, 35 of whom miscarried, five of whom died. This was not acceptable to the Jewish Israeli grandmother. So they now um, go and stand at the checkpoints and monitor their own ch soldiers. Uh, and when there is abuse, they report it to the Knesset and to journalists and on the Internet. The organization is called Maxim Watch. It is, as you can imagine, very controversial to do this because people in their own families don't support them. Um, but they have just won the highest award given by the Association for Human Rights in Israel. And uh, we have a call, but uh, if we have time, I'll have you uh, talk about grandmothers in Dubai. A very interesting story. Uh, Sarah in Logan. Sarah, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Oh, hi. Um, let me turn this off because there's a delay. Um, yeah, this is a fascinating conversation, and I also have done some documenting around the world of mothers' groups and grandmothers' groups. 
and love the women of Max so much. But um, there's also a phenomenon that's been documented, uh, particularly in the African-American community, called other mothering. And it's this idea that it isn't just biological grandmothers, but it's not only women, but others in the community of all ages who participate in raising or co-raising um, community raising, you know, it takes a village kind of notion um, of of children and families and addressing social issues. And I just wanted to bring that up because it isn't just for women who are biological mothers. It's for many, many, many folks around the world who are contributing to these efforts. Well, thanks, Sarah. Appreciate that. Okay. Uh, Paolo Gianturco, have you you've heard of this? I have not heard of that organization. I'm delighted to know about it. Mary, if you would be nice enough to go to globalgrandmotherpower.com and let me know if you have found grandmother groups that should be listed, um, I would love to add them because I'm hoping that that website will become a resource um, so that people can join groups and network and support them. So, uh, Sarah, I guess Global Grandmother Power, what is dot org? Apologize, Turco? Dot com. Uh, dot com. And uh, and you could add that uh, to the to the list there. Uh, great. Uh, I wonder. Um, by the way, we could fit uh, one last call in if you'd like. One eight hundred eight two six one four nine five or upraxis at gmail dot com is the email. Uh, Grandmothers in Dubai. There's a television show, I believe. There's a television show called Freej F R E E J. It means neighborhood in Emirati. Um, it is an animated show about four grandmothers, Um, and it is by far, by far, the most popular television show in the entire Arab Peninsula. It is funny um, and terrific. These grandmothers, who at the beginning of their lives uh, lived in Dubai when it was just a camel encampment, apparently, Uh, at the beginning, you know, the, the Emirati people were nomadic, and there, Dubai wasn't there. It's grown very quickly in the last some 50 years. So for grandmothers, it is a mind-boggling change to see Dubai as it is today, a city of tomorrow land, <laughs> practically. Um, and so they're caught between, they are the sandwich generation between old and new. And the, the confusions that arise as a result of that historical experience uh, are hysterical. I mean, they worry about what should they do about cosmetic surgery, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to uh, leave the conversation there out of time. But very interesting. The The book is Grandmother Power, a Global Phenomenon. Photojournalist Paolo Jean Turco has been my guest. She's giving a presentation September 28th, one thirty in the afternoon, Salt Lake City Public Library as part of the Utah Humanities Council Book Festival. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for producer Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening today. By the way, tomorrow, your pet will have pet health. A veterinarian will be here. We'll encourage you to put your pictures of your pet on Facebook today. That's tomorrow's show. Thanks for listening today. KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Thank you for listening to Utah Public Radio, and thank you to all of our callers on Access Utah today. Coming up next, the TED Radio Hour. It is now 10 o'clock.